have you ever had a bad attitude when it comes to serving at your home? Uh, I know I have. Uh, it, it's like I can read about serving. I can read about it in the Bible. I can teach about it. I can uh, study it. I can challenge uh, other people to be a part of serving. I can come to church and I can read the teachings of Jesus. And it's like I can be all about serving. You might even say that I'm pro-serving. But then when I actually get back home and the place where I probably should serve the most, rather than serving, I want to be served. I want someone else to, to wait on me. And I I don't want to lower myself or have to sacrifice anything. I want people to do that for me. I want other people to serve me. So why is it that sometimes I have a bad attitude when it comes to serving at home? Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever had a bad attitude when it comes to serving at home? Okay. Everybody? Who, Who is that? Okay. Now... If you didn't raise your hand, what do we call those people? Liars, right? If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. Because everybody has had a bad attitude when it comes to serving before. But you know what? This bad attitude of serving is not just limited to the home. Tomorrow some of you will go to work. And someone will ask you to do something more than maybe what's in your position description. And you'll have a bad attitude about it. Some of you uh, will walk in your neighborhood and uh, you'll look at other people's driveways that are not removed from snow. And you'll be like, I'm not going to do that. And you'll just drive on by. You'll uh, have a tendency to even have a bad attitude sometimes in the church. Let me let you in on a little secret. That sometimes people in the church have some stinking bad attitudes. I mean, Sunday after Sunday, they come to church, they eat the donuts, they listen to uh, the band and they engage in worship, they listen to an okay teaching, you know, it depends on the week. But they never serve. Like they never get out of their seats and into the game. They are the people who sit on the sidelines and they just never get engaged to serve. In fact, whether it's at home or at church or in the workplace or in the neighborhood, many times the culture says, don't serve, don't serve, but be served. And yet Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus's closest followers, talked about serving in this way. It'll come up on the side screen. Let's read it out loud together. Serve one another humbly in love. Let's read it again. Serve one another humbly in love. So how are we supposed to serve one another? If you want to, you can circle that last phrase, those last three words, humbly in love. That's how you are supposed to serve, according to Scripture. That means that you put other people's needs above your own. And you serve with an attitude of love. And you do it without an attitude of obligation. You see, sometimes when we get uh, closer into our relationship with Christ and we grow, we start serving really out of obligation or duty. It sounds something like this. Well, I'm a Christian. I guess I should serve. 
I mean, you know, they, someone's going to look at me and think I'm a bad person if I don't serve a little bit. So I guess I should. Or if you're going to be a good husband or a good wife or a good friend or a good kid, I guess I better serve. And all of a sudden you got like this stinking attitude of obligation rather than you do it out of humility of saying, I want to serve others. You know, the people that I admire the most are servers. You know who the greatest server was? Jesus himself. Jesus is up in heaven hanging out for millions and millions of years. And finally the call comes. And the Father says, Jesus, I want you to go to earth. He was the Son of God. He was the second of the Trinity. He had never had any sinful thing connected to him. He was beyond human. And yet he chose to humble himself to come to earth and to serve. He humbled himself to serve you. And you know how much of an extent he went to serve you? All the way to the cross. It's like he's walking towards this cross where he's going to have this crucifixion death. The worst kind of death that any Roman uh, could ever experience. And he does it, you know what the scripture actually says? He does it joyfully. Because he wanted to serve you and me. So I admire people that are servers. In fact, I think you can gauge a person's spiritual maturity based upon their serve. If they serve really well, they have a tendency to be more spiritually mature. And if you're not serving very well in love, then you have a sense of a spiritual kind of decline. So let me ask you this this morning. How are, your, how are you serving? How is your serve? How are you doing when it comes to serving others humbly in love? Do you ever wonder why some things you serve easily and then why others you tend not to serve? Now this morning, if you don't get anything out of, else out of the message, I want you to get our big idea uh, and you came in with snow, so, you know, you're, you're tough. Like, you're not like the wimps who stayed at home, okay? Like, you're tough people. So you want to get something out of it, and this is what I want you to get, that love serves. Very simply, I bet you could memorize that. In fact, close your eyes real quick and say, love serves. Love serves. None of you closed your eyes. That was kind of weird. But anyways, but love serves. Like, love always serves. It's just in its nature to love or, or to serve when you love. Love looks for chances to serve. And where there's a serving problem, guess where there's another problem? A love problem. You've got a love problem when you have a serving problem. Now, the good news is that we're not alone in this. All of us struggle with to some extent. And we're not alone in this. Uh, in fact, uh, since Jesus' day... Uh, People have had a hard time balancing what it means to serve and to serve in love. So I want to share with you this morning kind of an unforgettable story. It's an episode that takes place in the Bible in which Jesus is invited to dinner to a religious leader, a guy that has some high spiritual and political clout, a guy by the name of Simon. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background. Jesus is invited to this party, and if you're a visiting rabbi, 
And rabbi is just a word that means teacher. So if you're a visiting teacher of the Jewish law, Jesus would be expected to be received as a guest of honor. Like he would, uh, it would be expected that he would be welcomed and cared for uh, as a great guest uh, coming to this dinner. And certain small acts of servanthood and hospitality should just be lavished upon him. Now, part of the role of servanthood is a nice welcome to people. Like when people come to your house and uh, they uh, walk in the door, I mean, usually you open the door, right? And maybe you reach out your hand and you shake their hand. You welcome them in. Now, in the culture of Jesus' day, a customary greeting was that you would kiss the person on the cheek. That if it was a person of equal or higher or of equal status, you would actually kiss them on the cheek. Now, if you were a child and you were greeting your uh, parents, or if you were uh, a person of social status, but the person that you're connecting with is a lot higher, you would actually kiss them on the hand. Now, what religious leader do we know who many times when he's in public that people will actually come up and they'll kiss him on his hand? Who is that? The Pope, right? Because people look up to the Pope. And there's this respect and this honor that's given. Now, to neglect that during Jesus' day was the equivalent of ignoring someone. Can you imagine that? You're at the front door. Here comes the Pope. You open the door. The Pope's there. You slam the door in his face. You walk around. You walk away from him. That would be a huge insult to the Pope. Also, another thing that uh, was customary during this time was that you would wash people's feet. Now, I've shared with this uh, uh, to you before, but roads in Jesus' day were kind of like sewers. So anything that was in the house, you just threw it out into the road. And then you got these animals that are going down the road. And what do animals leave? Don't say it out loud. But you know what I mean? Like they, they leave things. There was no one there. There wasn't like a pooper scooper guy that comes out there and, you know, he's, it just stays there. And people are walking down this road. So they're getting all this stuff on their feet. And even if they were wealthy enough to have sandals, they get it all over. So when a person would walk into the house, you don't want that stuff in your house, do you? Some of you women are like, no. You don't even let them come in with like dirt on their shoes, you know. You got a special place in the garage they got to take all that stuff off and then they're allowed to come in, right? Well, this is what would happen. It was customary to do this. Now, this is the thing, folks. Simon is less than Jesus on the social status. And if you're less than a person, if you're a good host, you know what you do? You actually walk over and as the person who's hosting the party, you wash the people's feet who are important. You don't have to wash everybody's feet, but if they're more important, you wash their feet. And then you have some folks who maybe they're equal status. And you're like, don't we have a servant for that? Let somebody else go wash their feet. And then if they're kind of like way less than you, you just put out a bucket of water. You know, you're like, all right, don't bring that stuff in here, but you can wash your own feet. I'm not washing your feet. Now, this all happens. Jesus is there. Simon doesn't wash his feet. Servant boy doesn't wash his feet. No water for him. 
You know how offensive that would be, folks? Just like the Pope coming to your door. You slam the door in his face. And this is what's going on. Another way that you honor a guest is uh, during Jesus' day is that you would take olive oil and you would place this olive oil uh, on a person's hands and on their skin, maybe their head, because it was desert time. And so your hands and all of your uh, body got real, real dry. And so if you were uh, a person who had a person in your home that was higher status, you would go and you'd put this oil to kind of moisturize their skin. Now, in this story, this is what's so interesting. Simon doesn't do any of these things. He doesn't do a single one. He doesn't greet him. He doesn't give him a kiss. He doesn't wash his feet. He doesn't put any kind of oil on any part of the skin of his hands. This is just a deliberate, like, smack in his face. It's like, I'm not looking at you as someone who has honor. And this tension, you would see it. I mean, like, if you were a guest here and you're you're like, oh, man, look. No one's doing this for Jesus. I mean, we know who he is. He's a teacher of the law. He's healed people. He's fed thousands. He's taught. Why, Why isn't Simon doing this? Now, at the same banquet, a woman shows up. And in Jesus' day, whenever they would have a banquet, they would find someone who was wealthy. It may not have been Simon's house, but he found someone of wealth who had a courtyard. And these would be big, public, open kind of banquets. And people could come in, and uh, they could listen to what was being said. They could listen to the music. They could eat some of the food. It was invited. It was an invitation for anyone. But this woman, when she shows up, it's so unexpected because she's such a huge sinner. She's a prostitute. Everybody knows it in the village. Everybody knows what she does. They all know her occupation. More than likely... They know where she's been, and everyone's avoiding her like the plague. But something like stirs up in this woman, and and she hears that Jesus is there. And more than likely, she heard him teach earlier in the day. And as he was teaching earlier in the day, she was like, maybe I should stop and see what's going on. And it struck something so deep in her heart that... She began to wonder, maybe I could do it. And so she walks in, and then she walks in, and then like every eye is right on her. She's like, why did I come in here? Why has my life turned out this way? It wasn't the way I intended. It wasn't my plan. I mean, no little girl folks, you know, when they're a little girl, no little girl in their mind thinks, you know what, I want to be a prostitute one day. That's what I want to be. This woman was someone's baby little girl who had a mom and a dad who had high hopes, high dreams for her life. 
that things turned out wrong. That it, they just didn't turn out the right way. Maybe her husband rejected her. Back in those days, a lot of times men could just divorce women. They would be totally cut out from any property rights. They were left alone as worse than the way we treat a lot of our own animals. Just, and maybe she finally was like, I, I don't have a husband to, to be here to care for me to do anything. And so this is the only thing I can do. Or maybe she ran away from home as a teenager. She was tired of her parents. She ran away. She goes to the big city. She thinks she's going to be able to make it. She can't make it. And so she becomes a prostitute. Maybe there's no way she can make any other money. She's like, there's no way I can make it. This is what I'm going to do. We're not really sure. This is what we know, though. When she hears Jesus teach, there's something within her that says, I think God still loves me. Like, I think that maybe, just maybe, he wants me to still be his daughter. Maybe it's not too late for even me. Now, of course, this woman would have been the last person in the world to be invited to the dinner, right? I mean, like, you get your dinner guest list out and you're like, okay, who's not invited? Oh, yeah. The local town prostitute. She's not on the list. She's not even near the list. Can you make sure she doesn't even sneak her way in? No one would have invited her. Not in a million years. And she knows that. But somehow she sneaks her way in. She gets there. And it takes all the courage. And again, folks, I just... Can you imagine you walk in there and all the eyes are on you? Because they know who you are. They know what you do. And she's trembling with fear, but she gets sight of Jesus and she's so scared and she has all of these like, you know, darts being thrown at her, these evil, nasty looks. Some of you women have some evil, nasty looks, don't you? And they're all like on her. But she sees Jesus and somehow she's like overwhelmed with love. And then she watches the scene. She's like, why is Simon doing this? Why is Simon doing this? Like, why is he insulting her so much? Or insulting Jesus so much? Why is he... Just not doing anything to the etiquette. And finally she just can't take it anymore. And she's angry about it. But she wants to show love to Jesus. But she doesn't know what she could do. Now, if she walked up to him and gave him a kiss on the cheek. That's not an option, right? I mean, like, can't do that. I mean, Jesus, people already think that he's a drunkard. And they already think that he just hangs out with the worst of the worst, the tax collectors. Now all of a sudden, let's see a prostitute come up and kiss Jesus on the cheek. And so the woman knows, hey, I do, you know, I, I'm not going to do that. And then she comes up with this idea. She says, I know what I'll do. I will kiss his feet. 
And it took everything that she could, but she gets up kind of like behind him, and she sees his feet, and she just gets down, and she starts to kiss the feet. Now, it was an act of servanthood for you to wash another person's foot. But do you know what it must have been like to go and to kiss that foot? It is complete humility, folks. It's total humility. So with all the courage that she could muster up, she walks over. Everyone's looking. She reaches down. She kisses the feet. And everyone knows who she is. Then she is kissing his feet. And she looks up. She's like kissing the feet. And then she looks up and she gets a glimpse of Jesus' eyes. And she's like, What love. Like no man had ever looked like, uh, looked that way to this woman before. They only saw her as an object. A one night stand. Pleasure city. But no one who ever looked at her with love. And here she sees it in the eyes of the best man that the world has ever known. And he loves her not because she's an object. He loves her because she's a daughter of his father. She's a sister to him. And, she, and he treats her that way. And she looks up and then immediately the scripture says that tears start falling from her eyes. And at first it's just a few tears, but then it's like this bucket fulls of tears. Have you ever had one of that, uh, a tearful experience like that? Maybe for you it was the death of someone. Maybe it was at your wedding when your child was first born. But like just these bucket full of tears fall. And they're tears of sadness at first because of what our life is like. But then there's this gratitude that comes because Jesus offers forgiveness. And maybe that will be true of her. And then tears of joy because Jesus has filled her in some strange way with a sense of hope. And Jesus' feet. <laughs> what about Simon? What's he doing? He don't wash the feet. And they're wet from the tears. And so she's down there and she's kissed his feet. And then the tears start coming down. And then all of a sudden she's like, how am I going to dry his feet? And she looks around. She sees Simon. She's like, well, he's not going to give me a towel. There's nobody in this whole courtyard that's going to give me a towel. And so she, at that point, just does what is kind of an impulse. And she lets her hair down. Now, this is another shocking breach of etiquette in this day because women did not let their hair down, not in public. She would have never been allowed to ever let her hair down. It was actually considered way too provocative for that to ever happen. That's why women always, in Jesus' day, they always wore their hair up. And I read it this week. If you're a married woman during Jesus' day and you let your hair down, guess what could happen to you? Divorced. It was a legal, binding way that a man 
could divorce his wife simply by letting her hair down. Now, everybody here uh, at this particular uh, setting knows the woman's profession. They know this woman. She's let her hair down a lot. She's let her hair down many, many times with many, many different men. But now, this was the final time. This is the one time that she ever let her hair down that it actually was for the right reason. And she lets her hair down and she's kissed his feet and the tears are there. And she pulls down her hair and she just starts to wipe the tears from his feet. She then takes this alabaster jar. Most likely this refers to a flask that would have been worn around her neck. And why do you think she would have been wearing that? That's like a product for her occupation, right? She needs that. That's what draws her clients to her. And so finally, though, she, she has it there and she's doing all this. She's like, I got an idea. I'm just going to pour it all out. Like, I'm going to pour it all out. Do you guys understand how significant that is? It's like every. Thing she owns is in this bottle. It's the only thing of worth of value that she has. It's worth more than she is. And she pours it all out and she goes, I got it. I'll just pour it all out. She knows she can't anoint his head. She's a sinful woman. She can't do that. But she pours it all out on his feet. And she kisses them over and over. Why, folks? Why does she do this? Because love serves. Love serves. Love serves every time. Simon's watching all of this. He's like, man, this party didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to be. You know, I think he was hoping that he was going to set Jesus up. Man, if I insult him, if I do all this kind of stuff... Then people will be like, yeah, Jesus isn't all that great. But it all backfires when this lady, like, how did she get in? Whose fault is it? Who let her in? But then he says, ah, Jesus must not be who he says he is. Can't be. He can't be a prophet. You could probably hear uh, murmurings around. He can't be a prophet. A prophet would not be... Within ten feet of this woman. And then Jesus tells a story. Luke chapter 7, verse 40. It says this. Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak, Simon said. A certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. A very large amount. Think minimum wage, 500 people. That's what they owed. The other owed enough money... For 50, a smaller amount, still big, but much smaller than 500. When they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of them both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the man who had the largest debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. It's almost like this. Whoa, Simon. Woo. You got it. You're so smart. Then comes the conversation. 
the greatest conversation maybe in all of Scripture. Up until this point, the conversation is just between Jesus and Simon. Back and forth, back and forth. Now Jesus keeps speaking to Simon, but all of a sudden he turns his head and he's like, yes, Simon, whatever, but he looks over and now he sees this woman. And she like locks eyes with him and Jesus locks eyes with her. And can you imagine what must have happened to her? I bet there was a grin like you wouldn't believe. It's like everybody in this room thinks I'm a tramp, thinks I'm a whore, thinks I'm a prostitute, and I am. But there's one, and it's the only one that matters in the room. Did you realize, folks, that's the only thing that matters for you? It's not what everyone else thinks. It's what Jesus thinks. And Jesus locks eyes with it. And there's this big grin. And there's a little bit of shyness, maybe. But there's unspeakable love. Now, every eye now is directed towards her still. She served Jesus. And now, this is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to serve her. Because that's what Jesus does. Because Jesus realized that love always serves. Love, every time, serves. Then Jesus asked Simon, do you see this woman? <laughs> that's kind of, like, why would you ask that? Rhetorical question. Of course they've seen they see him the whole time. Everybody's seen this woman. Simon only saw this immoral woman. He only saw her profession. But he didn't see that this was a child of God. He didn't see what Jesus saw. When, and then Jesus says, when I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet. But she went, or she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. Both acts of washing feet, folks, and of giving a kiss on the cheek would have been the polite thing to do. It would have been the hospitable thing to do. But Simon deliberately refuses to do both. Jesus goes on. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. I picture at this point, you know, Jesus is there. More than likely, he's reclining. She's kissing his feet, like, just keeps on. Like, and finally, he's like, hey, that's okay. That's enough. You know? Like, good job, but that's good. And Jesus continues, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she poured perfume on my feet. And by the way, Simon, she didn't use some cheap perfume. She poured out the best that she had. She gave her whole life when she gave that perfume. Now, all of this is going on, and he's looking at the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. It's like talking to her, or I'm talking to Simon, but I'm looking at her. I'm just looking at her. But now, for the first time, he directly speaks to her. And for a moment, it's like their two eyes connect and everyone else around, it doesn't matter. Nobody else in that courtyard matters except the two of them. And Jesus looks at her and he says these very powerful words. They'll come up on the screen. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. In other words, your faith has made you whole. And can you imagine the explosion that happens in her? 
The joy that is like, seriously, I'm important, I'm special, I'm worthy to be forgiven. I'm loved for the first time, maybe ever. (laughs) And Simon, he's so clueless. He's just rude. He's just arrogant. Do you know people like that? Just rude. They're just rude to people who are less than them, who maybe have a, a harder life than them, maybe have done some things that are bad, but who cares? Don't be rude. And Simon doesn't even go to the point of being able to say, you know, have a good day. And Jesus is like, I'll step in. And he says these final three words. He says, go in peace. He's like, you're free. Doesn't matter what all these other people say. No more looking down on yourself because God is head over heels in love with you. You're his daughter. You're special. End of story. You know, the reason why I love this story so much is that from the beginning to the end, Jesus simply says, you know what? Anyone can serve me. Anyone can. If they have a humble heart of love, they can serve me. But you know what the problem is? Is that a lot of times we don't want to do that because what we really want is credit for when we serve. I want to be recognized. I want my name on a list. Well, I, I tell you what, if I give some money to this thing, they better put my name on a list. I want a little star. I want an asterisk. I want, I want to be known. And if it takes too much time, takes too much energy, takes too much sacrifice, well, I'm not going to do it. And we quickly get out of service. I don't like that about myself. Because sometimes I'm like that. Sometimes I look around and I don't see people. I just don't see people. I've shared this with you before, but we took our kids to uh, Disney World last year. And I'm walking out and there's this lady and she's like, cleaning up the trash that people had left the whole time and I just don't see her and I just keep walking out and I get this prompting from the Holy Spirit and says, Chris, go back to that woman. See that woman. And I told my parents, go on with the kids and I go back and here's this woman, I'm pretty sure she was from Haiti and she just is like there and she's doing everything and I never even saw her. How many times do you walk by? How many times do I walk by people who we could serve? And we just choose not to. And yet this woman, who's rejected by the world, the world doesn't see her. But on this particular day, in this particular place, Jesus sees her. And she served Jesus, and Jesus served her. And I'll tell you what, this story, it challenges me. I pray that it's a challenge to you as well. So here's the question. Who are you going to serve this week? Like, who are you going to serve this week? You know, my uh, wife, uh, several years ago, she and I read this book called The Five Love Languages. And one of the things that we learned, I'd encourage any of you to read it, but one of the things that we learned was that 
Uh, Her primary love language is quality time. She feels most loved when we hang out together. We can cuddle up together and we can watch television. We can hold hands and walk around our neighborhood. Anything that we just do together, her love tank gets filled up. And for most of our marriage, that's what her love language was. Then we had kids. And all of a sudden, quality time wasn't as important as as acts of service. And so uh, recently, she had uh, organized our, uh, because we got a mattress, we got this new mattress, and so we had to organize our our room, and she puts all this room together and gets the, you know, everything done, and I, I just didn't help. And, you know, like, Laundry starts piling up different places, and I'm just assuming, well, I didn't mess the room up, so, you know. And then finally, it just hit me that that was it. We were like in this big fight. I know all of you got healthy marriages, healthy relationships. You never fight, but. So we kind of get in this argument a little bit, and uh, she goes, Chris, do you understand That when you do the laundry, like, I feel cared for. I feel cared for when you do that. When you clean up the office, because we're we're having someone stay in our uh, guest room, and it's an office right now. When you clean that up, Chris, when you clean that up, I feel romantic toward you. When you, you know, go ahead and you give the girls a bath without being asked, like, I desire you. And so this week... I gave the girls like three or four baths every day. I mean, on Thursday, it's like 10 o'clock at night and they're asleep. I'm like, get up. We're getting a bath. You stink. Put them in there, you know, we're like getting them on. And then I'm yelling down the stairway, honey, I'm giving the girls a bath. Just want you to know. Folks, every time you serve someone in your family, every time you serve someone at work, every time you serve a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, Scripture says when you do that, it's as if you're serving Christ himself. So who in your relational world is God asking you to serve? Maybe it's an easy serve, maybe it's a real hard serve, but who is God asking you to serve? And who could you come up to and who could you just say, how could I help you? How could I help you? Now, the second question I want to ask you this morning is where are you going to serve here at the jar? I mean, there is no place to serve in love that is more important than in the church that Jesus Christ died for. In fact, Jesus said this, the greatest among you will be the servant. So I was thinking about it this week. Who is the greatest person in our church? Like, who's the greatest person in our church? And some people, um, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't know. I don't know who's the greatest person. And then I, uh, I got some information this week. There's a guy in our church. He serves on the setup team. He serves uh, once a month. He has to get up about 6 o'clock in the morning on his day off. He comes in here, and the reason why you have a chair right now is because... He came and a few others came and they set up the chairs. And so he did that on his one week. And then the next week, uh, a guy calls him and says, hey, I can't do it. Could you do it for me? I'm going to be out of town. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. Again, gets up at 6, 630, comes in here, gets the chair down so that you at 1030, 
1045 that you have a chance to have a chair. Last week, a guy calls and says, hey, I just had surgery. I can't make it. Could you come? He's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll get up at 6, 630. I'll come in here and do it. This morning, because of all the bad weather and everything else, he gets here. He sets up the chairs again. And he says, hey, just want to let you know that why didn't do the parking lot? Is there any way we can do this? And so he, he gets a guy on the team. And he says, you leave because I know you have a plow. Why don't you go and you plow the parking lot and I'll do this, uh, just a couple of them together. And they did that. And every time someone steps up to serve on setup, and every time a person says that I'll care for the little children, I'm going to serve up in Jar Kids. Like if I didn't do what I did, I'll tell you where I would be. I would be in Jar Kids. I can't think of a greater way to impact people's lives than our kids. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. And folks, when people do that, you know what this church becomes? Great. Like great. There's a book that came out, Good to Great. Great churches have people that say, what do you need? Or they just say, you know what, I'm going to do it. So when you walked in today, each of you received a little form that looks like this. It says, volunteer now. And I'd like you to pull that out right now. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. And uh, uh, Todd's back there. He'd love to give you one. So just raise your hand and uh, he'll get one for you if you didn't get one. And I'm going to invite our volunteer coordinators to come up. They're going to be up here. And at the top of the card, it says this. Below, you will find a list of volunteer opportunities at the jar. On the back of this card is a description of what is involved in volunteering for each opportunity. So all of those are on the back, any way that you would want to serve. After you've looked over this list, please fill out your information and circle one area that you have the most passion for. doesn't necessarily mean that'll be the area, but it's just one that, hey, right now, this is where I'm at. This is where I have the most passion at. Now, if you didn't get one, uh, pretty soon we're going to pass these blue buckets And you'll need to put something in, so just raise your hand, and Todd will will get one for you. But uh, I really want to encourage you to fill this out. And here's some of the ways you could serve. You know, the good thing is, all of you got to sleep in today, so you might be like, I'm not a set-up person, okay? But, like, if you'd like to get up early in the morning, we got plenty of seats, and Steve Welch... They'll come up a picture of him. Steve Welch is our setup coordinator, and uh, he's out on a truck right now, stuck, or he would kind of be here. And uh, But if you want to do that, that'd be great. Now, some of you are like, I'm not getting up at 6 o'clock if Jesus was the setup coordinator. You know what I mean? Okay, I get that. So there's other ways that you could serve. Uh, hospitality. We always need people to greet people at the doors. Do you realize that people decide whether they're coming back to church or not? Not when they see Chris, but how they're greeted as they walk in. And so Don and Chris, raise your hand. Let's give them a hand since they're here. Uh, Don and Chris Ross uh, do our hospitality, and they do an amazing job. And so if you'd like to, you know, pass out programs, greet people when they come in, make coffee, donuts, whatever. You don't have to make the donuts, I guess. They're there, but you've got to serve the donuts, you know. A lot of you eat the donuts, I will say that, you know. And so you could, you could sign up for hospitality. 
Another one that we have is uh, Mikey is our uh, communications guy. He does all of the setup, so let's give him a hand. So all the media setup that you see, like the screens and the sound booth and, you know, pushing buttons and all that kind of stuff that I don't know. If you're interested in that, Mikey's a great person to do that. Uh, Stephanie, uh, who is our JAR Kids person, she's up with the kids right now because some of our volunteers couldn't come in, so she's there. But uh, last time we did this, I challenged men to stand up and serve with our kids. Some of our kids have no male role models whatsoever to serve. And uh, guess how many men we had last time? One. One. Like seriously, an hour out of however many hours you have in your month, you couldn't invest into a little boy and say, hey. So jar kids is another way. And then Derek, who's behind me, uh, what do you, no, Derek uh, runs our, Derek runs our uh, impact student ministry. And so uh, at six o'clock at night, if you love teenagers, okay, let me rephrase that. If you'd like to like put your hands on some teenagers, like in Jesus name, like put them around their neck, you know, um, we need people that volunteer for that role. So, um, but seriously, teenagers, you know, man, it'd be great if we had some people that said, hey, I'll step up, I'll serve. And all we're asking for is once a month, folks. We're not asking for a huge, like, lifetime commitment once a month that you serve somewhere, and then everything gets done. So we want to encourage you to, to think about that and and to really do that. And so we're going to give you a little time to do that. And there's one more person. Uh, Gary, why don't you come up on this side? This is like a really, really important thing. Tear down. Tear down. Like it's, yeah, thank Gary. You know why tear down is so important? Because if you don't tear it down, you don't have it for next week. So you got to tear it down. And uh, Gary does a phenomenal job. And so if you'd like to help with teardown, again, just once a month, hey, I'll help out. Sign it up. So uh, let's give Gary a hand for that. Thanks, Gary. So I'm going to give you just a couple minutes right now to fill out your card. So go ahead and do that. And we're going to pick them up here in just a second. So you got two minutes. Go ahead and uh, fill them out.
Now, if you have any questions about anything, uh, all our volunteer coordinators will be back here at this uh, green table, and they'd love to help uh, answering questions that you have. If you'd like to sign up for like a certain time or you want all your family to kind of serve on a particular week, uh, just go back there and they can help you with that uh, to do that as well. Now, uh, after the celebration, maybe some of you are thinking this right now, but you're just not saying it. But maybe you'll wait till you go out to the car and then you'll turn to the person you came with. You're like, I came for this. Like, seriously, we spent this whole celebration talking about serving seriously. And that's the reason why we do this, folks. The reason why we do this, and some of you are filling the blank people and you're like, there's one that we haven't done yet. And this is the reason why. Because we can't do church without you. Like we can't. Take home message, we can't do church without you. It doesn't happen. There's no way staff could do everything. It's because of volunteers that we're able to celebrate and worship God in the ways that we do. And so um, I'm going to have the greeters come. They're going to come forward and uh, we'll collect these uh, real quick. And uh, would just encourage you to uh, put your little card in there as it goes by.